The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. It's the Ringer Gambling Show, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back, and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Ringer Gambling Show's World Cup Pick Special. I'm Steve Cerruti, as always, joined by the great Paul Carr of True Media. Paul, we have hit the quarterfinal stages of the World Cup here. We've got eight teams left. Um, it was a bummer not having games on like during the day for the first time <laughs> what was like like two and a half, three weeks. Yeah. Did you know what to do with yourself? I didn't really know what to do with myself during the day. I did only because I was out at MLB Winter Meetings. So I was in like wall-to-wall meetings all day, but I still found myself like between meetings checking my phone. Oh, what's the score? What have I missed? Did I need to pull it up? Oh, there's nothing going on. So yeah, definitely yeah, you, weird, you to, but nice to have a little bit of a break. You have to be productive at work again? What is this? This is I know. bullshit. I, know. <laughs> I can't believe this is going on. I don't but, like uh, it. But we had a great, I mean, listen, the, the round of 16 was great. We had some, I guess, some prizes, scores, some some kind of blowouts in, in some games that we didn't think we would have. We've got five European nations. We've got two South American nations. And shout out to Morocco for holding it yeah. down for Africa. And what is, I mean, they're an incredible story. Uh, you know, I think I will talk about it in a little bit. I think I think their run probably comes to an end here for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but we'll see how that goes. Unfortunately, the U.S. were not able to hold it down for, for CONCACAF is the only one that made it into the knockout stages. We'll get to them shortly because there's some news surrounding that team and manager Greg Berhalter that we want to get to. But first, let me lay out the rundown. We're going to go through all four quarterfinal matchups and some really juicy ones, including we'll close it out with England and France, uh, which might be the highlight of the entire of the entire quarterfinal. Um, we're going to do our confidence rankings just for teams to move on. So like we're going to basically rank one through four, how confident we are that these four teams move on. Um, and we'll, as always, close it out with our best bets on the end, at the end of every pod. And we've got a couple different like betting nuggets of things that we're going to stay away from that we might get to in a little bit based on what we've been seeing so far from from the knockout stage uh, as well. But first, I want to ask you, speaking of the knockout stages and we, we you know, it, it, it becomes sort of like the most exciting part of the tournament now that we've got penalty shootouts and, you know, we get extra time and all these different factors that we didn't get in the group stage. But what was your biggest takeaway? Like, is anything did you, anything that you see in the knockout stages in the round of 16 change your mind? What was your biggest takeaway from 
from the uh, from the knockouts. It was really just that. Look, we've got eight teams left. Six of those were seeded teams. You've got Croatia, who wasn't that far behind Belgium, and it's the final last time, obviously. And you've got one interloper in there, just like one team that you know shouldn't be here in in that sense. We talked a lot before the tournament about how the you know playing it now during the club season with minimal buildup was going to affect them. So, you know, it's easy to jump to conclusions from small samples and who knows if it's 100% right. But I'm just thinking, you know, the better teams get through because they've got better players, better talent when there's just such a short runway and it's harder to coach teams up and you know get them to gel beforehand. So I, I think sort of we're just seeing talent, especially on the field. You know, you can point at the Dutch and say you know, Louis van Gaal is a, a big factor there too. Yeah. Uh, some, so coaching is a, is a little bit of a thing. But the cream has risen to the top, to use a cliche, so much that I can't help but think that some of this is just because of the nature of the tournament and, and when it's situated in the calendar. Yeah, there's a reason that like the Cinderella's typically die out in this stage of the tournament. Because one, you're right, like talent does come through, but it's also depth, right? Like you're playing yeah. every three to four days. These teams are tired. I'll get to this in a little bit with Morocco. Like I just I don't know how they put on a good performance <laughs> in, in this, this upcoming game. Like I just don't know how. They've got guys going left and right. Uh, playing a ton of minutes, you know, obviously pouring their hearts out against Spain, what was an emotional win. Uh, It's just a tough time. If you don't have depth, it's just really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, My, I had a couple takeaways written down. One was that I think Portugal are scarier than I think I thought they were. Not that I didn't think that they were scary, but I just, I didn't know what the Ronaldo thing was going (laughs) to be. Typically, they're slow starters in tournaments. Um, You know, obviously still Pepe's playing at at center back at what, age 39. He had a goal. So that's not, that's not a problem. It looks like for them at all. Um, Yeah. So I, I guess, I, I, I guess agree. that's one of my more takeaways. What away. we didn't know, I, I think we talked about this before, how much is Fernando Santos going to basically unleash that team? Because mm-hmm. they've had this talent for, I mean, even go back to Euros in 16, they had a lot of good attacking players, but chose to play a defensive style and keep it close and grind it out, etc. So he's unleashed them in the last couple of games and absolutely not having Ronaldo on the field uh, loosens that team up from a, you know, formation standpoint where you don't yeah. have this, you know, their advantage is having that, you know, striker is kind of your rock. Uh, the negative way of looking at it would be that he's an anchor that kind of just drags everything else down. But there's just, you just saw more freedom up top. The guys moving, uh, getting into space, et cetera, et cetera. And it really seemed to uh, lighten up the attack in that sense. So I'll be very curious. That's, that's a, one of my number one questions for these quarters. Is Ronaldo going to start? Because surely from a soccer standpoint, Probably shouldn't start, and he's a phenomenal weapon to have. You know, you throw him on in the last 20 minutes if you exactly. need a goal or, you know, it brings something different because he's so good in the air and you're probably going to be crossing the ball in because that's what tends to happen when you're desperate. So that, I mean, just from a soccer standpoint, that's the right move for Portugal. But I understand there are other things going on that may or may not come into play. It does feel like like a Manchester United situation happening right before our eyes again in, you know, with the Portuguese national team where it's like, are, there's, there's a reason that these guys kind of want to bench him because like there's just the, there's not this fluidity up front um you know obviously Ramos with the hat trick like it's funny what you, you see the lineup for the game is like no Ronaldo no Joel Cancelo and you're like what the heck's Portugal doing like people that I don't want to say like the casuals are saying that but no, like but... it's kind of what it was it's like hey I know these guys like why aren't they playing right um but there are I mean Port- Portugal yeah as you mentioned one of the deepest teams in the entire tournament like it wasn't it, for me before it wasn't about talent it was about like what the fit was, and as you mentioned, like yeah. it's a perfect example of like of what you said is like how, how was Santos going to unleash this team fully? And you know we'll see how it goes against what is like a di- obviously a pretty stout defensive uh, Moroccan team. But I, I I kind of I'm 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 higher now in Portugal. The other uh, takeaway that I had was 
man, PKs are just like, they're hit or miss, no pun intended. Like, I, I couldn't believe how, like, both Japan against Croatia, I mean, the Japanese just, like, could not figure it out penalty-wise. And then somehow Spain made it worse against Morocco, right. missing all three after after uh, Coach Luis Enrique, uh, basically telling them to practice penalties for four straight years after they get bounced the last time. And they couldn't have been possibly worse. So, yeah. shout out to practice, I guess, doesn't always make perfect. And it's not even really about practice with PKs. It's just about, like, a mental state of mind. And that's when, like, if you're Spain... And you get to PKs against Morocco, like you have everything to lose. Like the pressure is all on you. And that's why mm-hmm. I couldn't, you know, I I had Spain. I like Spain to potentially win the tournament. Um, I think they were plus 700. I think that's the ticket I had. But when you're going to play the way that they play, which is like one way, they have one plan. They don't deviate from that plan. Like you have nobody to blame but yourself. And now Enrique is out as manager of Spain. Yep. Yeah, you do need a plan B of sorts, I think, to be at best of these tournaments, you know. What's going to be different if you're ahead, if you're behind, if you have to get a goal, if you're trying to get one that's tied. And when you don't have that and something goes different like it did there, you kind of saw what happens. Yeah. So Spanish go home and uh, they will be, uh, I guess we could say that we made it, we, we as U.S. fans, we made it as far as Spain did. And right. we made it further than Germany did. And we certainly made it further than Italy did. One of the craziest stats of all of this is obviously excluding France as the defending champs. Italy, Spain, and Germany, basically the last three before France won it all have not won a knockout stage matchup since 2006 which is wild. which is pretty pretty freaking wild um for for you know three of the biggest powerhouses so it could always be worse if you're the US <laughs> men's national team right. speaking of the men's national team let's get to a couple big stories here from them before we get to some of the quarterfinal matchups first off i want to get your thoughts Greg Berhalter the question was all right you know he's been here for 4 years led them back to the world cup obviously a, a somewhat impressive run um we could talk about the game as well and the loss against Netherlands which i think there was some I think there was some disagreement about like how well we played in that game. Uh, but it looks like Burhalter is reportedly in discussions for an extension. Now it's very early. Um, we don't know what the you know what the final version of that will be. We don't right. even know what his ambitions are. Like I've heard multiple people, I've heard um Casey Keller say this, who I think is close with Greg, that he thinks Burhalter wants to test himself in Europe. He looks at Jesse Marsh and goes, Hey, I, I want to do that. And there are parts of me that think that he actually would probably be better at a club team than he would be for the national team, but I don't know, your thoughts on like a potential extension, like if you think Burhalter is worth it for another four years or if you think the U.S. should look somewhere else. Yeah, so I've long said that no coach should get more than one World Cup cycle. Like you should get one term and that should be it. Um, I've kind of come around to thinking of this more as like a U.S. president. Like you get your one term. If and you know, very broadly speaking, if you are good or show progress, you got a pretty good shot at a second term. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not opposed to that because... I do think the one challenge and why these federations keep a coach is if you bring a new coach in, you're sort of starting from scratch and very few federations have the uh, the right infrastructure and philosophy to kind of plug in another coach and keep that upward momentum going uh, very easily. So, so I am very torn on this because, like I said, one term is kind of my default, but I think we've seen enough progress. I mean, we can debate, again, how much the U.S. controlled some of these games, but they pretty much outplayed England. They mm-hmm. played Netherlands to, we'll say, a standstill at times. Now, some of that may have been the Netherlands doing in kind of an intentional way of letting the U.S. have the ball and such. But those are things we hadn't really seen. I mean, the last time the U.S. really outplayed a team of that caliber, I mean, I guess you could say like Portugal in 14 for part yep. of the game. Before that's like probably Portugal in like 2002. You know, they kind of hung on against England in 2010. Uh, 06 was a disaster. It's like it just hasn't happened that much. The U.S. kind of played at that level. Uh, so 
it makes me inclined that if Berhalter wants to stay, that I wouldn't mind keeping him around. Because uh, it's also such a weird, like the coach is going to have no qualifiers for four years. Yeah. So you lose, you hope, we hope something happens to give the U.S. some good games, but you lose all that momentum you even build in a cycle. So yeah, if everyone's on board, I don't mind Berhalter staying. I also don't think it's the end of the world if he goes and you're bringing some fresh blood. That's kind of where I'm at. Like I'm, not, I'm going to give Greg credit for for these four years, this run. Like I'm not going to sit here and be a hater about it. Uh, you know, obviously this is, we would have taken where we where what we got before the tournament even started. Yep. Um, I don't think you're right. I think I don't think we were certainly outplayed by the Netherlands. I did think there was like this narrative though after the game that hey, the U.S. hold their heads high, like they took it to the Netherlands. Not that they shouldn't hold their heads high, but I, I just thought you know. And this isn't me like, you know, I'm not like reinventing the wheel here, but like Louis uh, Van Hall, like he had a fantastic plan. He mm-hmm. was like, well, we're going to give the U.S. the ball. We don't think they're going to break us down. We're not very scared of most of their offensive players. We certainly aren't scared of any of their strikers. Right. Um, and then we're going to take our chances when we get them. And, you know, obviously the game is completely different if Pulisic scores that goal within right. side 10 minutes. Uh, but right. I still I still don't I still don't think, you know, to me, that that wasn't like a tactical Greg thing. That was just a missed opportunity early on in the game. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, like, you know, I don't want to I saw people being like, as always, it's in the middle somewhere. Like people are like, "Hey, Greg got tactically outclassed by Louis Van Hall." I don't know. Like I think I think right. this is how Greg plays, and this is the way that yeah. they wanted to play, and they just didn't take their chances. And the Netherlands were just a little bit more, like significantly more clinical than yep. we were. And especially they get the goal somewhat early too, and it's like, "Oh, great, we could just sit back even more now yeah. and hit them on the counter again." So you know, I I don't want to sit here and say, "Hey, the U.S. deserve no credit." And because if you look at some of the again, we talked about XG stats in multiple pods ago, but like you know, the U.S. did have a higher XG than the Netherlands did, but that just doesn't tell the story of the game. No, that's, that's the game Netherlands state, very yeah. yeah, exactly. The Netherlands very easily could have uh, you know put their foot to the foot on the on the gas a little bit more, and they just didn't because they know they didn't have to. So yep. for me, like yeah, three one was probably a fair result. I don't think the U.S. deserved any more than what they got. I think they deserved to lose. They were the second best team in that game, mm-hmm. but they still played well and. I think it was still a, a proud moment for this team. So for me, in talking Burhalter big picture, I mean, would I be mad if he came back in four years? I don't think I'd be mad, but I would. I think I would like to see some fresh blood. I think that I think there's a manager. I think there's a style that can get more out of these players. Assuming that we don't have like this incredible offensive attack, assuming we don't get some world class striker in the next four years, I just think like you know people were talking about it. Like, would, would Louis Van Hall be a great addition to the to the U.S. as a manager? And you know, I think you get into this argument, and I, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. Is are do you feel like we need an American at the helm? Like, I know there were some people when Klinsman came in that were like, yeah, this guy doesn't get the, he doesn't get MLS. Like, he doesn't understand like the development of soccer in the United States. I think some of that's a little bit overblown, but there are some, I think tactically, there are some ways that we could be better in four years, assuming that we don't have um, some world being striker. Yeah, I don't think the U.S. has to have an American manager. I do think they have to have a manager who understands U.S. soccer culture to some extent. Um, so, you know, like Tata Martino was thrown out before Berhalter took over. He obviously understands MLS, U.S., yep. North American soccer culture. I'm not saying they should hire him because I'm not sure you want to hire yeah, someone who's had just gone through what he's gone through. <laughs> but, you know, somebody like that, just from a how much he understands how the game, Federation, all that works is would be OK. Like Van Hall specifically is 70 whatever and battling cancer, I believe. So, yeah. you know, but if there's a coach who is interested. That's kind of the thing. Okay, yeah, you don't just fire Burhalter to fire Burhalter either. Um, this goes for almost any you know coach who's kind of on the bubble. You got to have some sort of plan. Like uh, you know when when Sunil Gulati got rid of Bob Bradley, not sure it was the right decision, but he at least had a plan. He he did it to get Klinsman. 
that was the yep. goal. He had somebody lined up. So uh, don't get rid of Berhalter and then be like, all right, let's see. Let's let's start our coaching search now. So if they have, you know, whatever, making it up, Jesse Marsh or somebody kind of lined up and that's set, even if he's you know, maybe not taking over full time until after the Premier League season or something, um, I could be okay with that. But if, he, if Berhalter's staying, because this team is still so young and it's so much different than some cycles where everybody's gone from a player perspective four years later. So many of these guys should still be around. That that level of continuity will be important at some level. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Jesse Marsh. He's kind of like the pie in the sky, and he does seem to be you know would be interested in 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 the in the gig. And you know, it's it's funny. I feel like Greg and Jesse sort of look at each other and go like, "I could, I want to kind of do the opposite <laughs> of what's happening here." Like Jesse's like, "Hey, I, I would love to coach the U.S." And Greg's like, "I would love to coach Leeds United. Like, I'd love to do, test do myself straight, in Europe." Straight yeah. swap. <laughs> I don't know that Leeds would take that right now. Although yeah, I don't know, maybe not. they would. Who knows? But um, but uh, and I, and I also think for, from Jesse Marsh's perspective, you know, I, I think that Leeds it's gonna be it's gonna be tough sledding there. Like I think the, with mm-hmm. how competitive the Premier League is, I know you know they're like a traditional power. Um, traditional power being like going back 20, 30 years. Right, like you, right. Leeds Historically, kind of clubs in England, but not not recently. And I think it's gonna be a tough job for him to keep them up year after year. You know, does he say, hey, like I, the U.S. job is going to be more rewarding, a little bit easier on me and my life? Like maybe that is the case, and that's great. Um, yeah, but I, mean, from I, think, the, I think if he's available, I think you have to at least knock on that door. Yeah, from his perspective, you know, saying this from an outsider's perspective, jumping from Leeds to the U.S. like now would could make sense. You you get security because I mean, there's almost yeah. no way you're gone before the 26 World Cup. Like yeah. you'd have to go out in two gold cups. Go- stages or have a player revolt or something absurd like that um, so yeah you'd have some nice security i mean it almost the chances of him still coaching leads in like two years are pretty slim just because of the way the premier league turns managers over so yeah from his perspective and he's you know he said that he'd be interested in the job he's just being up front he's not like politicking for it but he gets mm-hmm. asked the question so it would seem to make sense and style wise you know kind of assuming he brings some of that you know red bull energy it kind of makes sense as the next step because the U.S. pressed fairly well in this tournament. And if you want to kind of ramp that up a notch or, or add a, maybe a different sort of structure to that, it, it seems to make sense tactically that that could be the evolution of the team. So if you had to pick the devil that you know or the devil that you don't know, would you say, hey, I'll take, I'll take Greg for another four years or I'll go into the pool and I'll just take whoever we potentially get? Like, is there, is there not knowing that we don't know who that next person would yeah. be or that, you know, assuming we're not, we don't have, you know, we don't have insight insight into U.S. soccer right. and who they're talking to. Like, would you would you be more comfortable just staying with Greg for four years? I'm just probably just broadly a little more conservative, and I probably would stick with yeah. unless there is just some obvious candidate. Or obviously, if Greg wants to go, you know, I have a hard time thinking that he would want to leave before a World Cup in the U.S. It's just a different animal. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. maybe this a four year cycle of this with just a different set of games is not that appealing, and he gets some great European offer. Um, so, I mean, if he wants to go, you know, presumably U.S. has some people kind of lined up to talk to. I don't think it's the end of the world, but I think independent of everything else, I'd probably keep him right now. Yeah. And uh, you had mentioned sort of like obviously no qualifying. The U.S., Canada and Mexico are all in 2026. We'll see if it's an extended field of not 32, but then 48. There's been all these rumors. We can talk about that whenever that news kind of comes down, which I don't think either of us really want. But so the bad news is we don't get to go through qualifying, which does help sort of shape teams and make them better. And it adds pressure that isn't there during even just like big time friendlies against bigger nations. 
Um, but the news coming from uh, our old friend Max Bretos, who is apparently saying that the Copa America for the U.S. is uh, is going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing, I think, for Canada and the U.S., which, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's basically the South American tournament of, you know, Brazil, all the, all the big boys, you know, Argentina, obviously Ecuador, uh, Uruguay, all the big teams there. Um, it's sort of like what their version of the Gold Cup, I would say, Paul, yep. like it's their version of like, you know, their their continental tournament. Yep. The U.S. would be added to that and it potentially could be in the U.S. because Ecuador is supposed to be the host nation. And that is there's been some issues with that as well. So this actually could end up working out phenomenal for the oh. U.S. because this is the kind of competition they need to be in playing in real games against real teams that are actual contenders to win the entire World Cup in 2026. Yeah, there's two things I would love to see. One is that what regardless of where it is, obviously, I think it'd be great for the U.S. to host both because it's just in the U.S., but also so many of those cities could get sort of a dry run mm -hmm. at uh, the World Cup two years later. Uh, so, yeah, it'd be, I mean, it's the perfect thing. The U.S., I don't want to call it a must to get into that, but I, I feel like it's it's almost there because you're, that's the highest level competition you can face uh, before a World Cup. Uh, the other thing I'd like to see, and I, I don't know how possible, probable this is, but I'd love to see the Confederations Cup come back the year before the World Cup in 2025. Mm -hmm. You know, it's basically it's been the host nation, uh, all the reigning continental champions, and the uh, was it World Cup champion. So I would love to see that. You can do U.S., Mexico, and Canada, and then what the five other continental champions basically. Mm -hmm. So I'd love that to happen, whether it's a formal thing with FIFA or not. I, I just think it'd be a, it'd be a great thing. Again, you get a nice little dry run for the cities and you get some great competition in a you know an actual tournament format uh, you know very similar to the world cup from a well at least the way the world cup has been from a group perspective etc so those are the two things i'd love to see from a competitive schedule for the u.s over the next four years this episode is brought to you by jiffy lube cars can be a big investment so it's important to take care of them i once got a car that i started out with twenty five thousand miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Totally agree. Anytime we get more big time matches in the States, we will absolutely take it. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the, I think the, the, the competitive nature of, of, that, of those tournaments is much needed as we, as we try to sort of fill out the schedule without having qualified. Do you, by the way, before we move on to actually the, the quarterfinal matchups, do you know how It'll be interesting to see. I guess we none of us really know, but if, if U.S., Mexico, and Canada are all in, CONCACAF usually gets that extra like half spot, so three and a half, usually four. Um, assuming, you know, like I guess assuming that it doesn't get expanded, which it probably will, I wonder how 
CONCACAF qualifying will look? Do you have any idea? Like, no. I mean, are the rest of the team just going to play it out for one spot potentially or no, maybe I mean, two if they get to 48? If, if you're expanding to 48, I feel like there's got to be at least three other spots for CONCACAF. Maybe another one. Just kind of depends exactly how they chop it up. Like, I don't think they've formally decided, even if they have, given how they either, may yeah. revamp the structure and everything. Uh, you know, that could all be thrown up in the air if the FIFA Council wants to do something else. But yeah. I, th- I feel like it's got to be at least three just from a number standpoint to get to 48, which is obviously great news for all the countries down the list a little bit that are fringy at best to qualify most of the time. Yeah, Honduras, El Salvador, they're getting excited here. We're mm-hmm. saying, hey, we could, we could potentially, we could at least one of the, what, what, here's what'll happen. We'll get two, two and a half and somehow a CONCACAF country, as I said, will eventually play New Zealand for a spot in, in the yeah, tournament of 2026, which, yeah. which is fine. All right, let's move on to uh, the quarterfinal matchups here. We've got four big ones. We're going to just go in order from when they start. So the first one coming up is Croatia-Brazil. Um, this, Paul, is the is the situation in the spot in which Brazil has sort of stumbled. Three of their last uh, four World Cups, they've lost in the quarterfinal. Um, my biggest takeaway from this entire game is obviously Brazil looked fantastic in that first half. Um, and, you know, scoring, they were up 4-0, the game was over before we even blinked. Yeah. The thing that I think is, I don't think Croatia have played well in really any game this entire tournament. No. And, like, they are, to me, name and name only. They're just a brand. Like, yes, they made the final uh, four years ago. They've been, like, obviously a sneaky good team um, in Europe for a long time now. And they've got guys that we know. I have really no confidence in Croatia. I, I don't think it's going to be a blowout like we've seen a couple other Brazil games. But I really don't have many much confidence in Croatia at all to really get this done. Now, crazier things have happened. Obviously, veteran-laden team, they know how to navigate their way through a tournament, but I don't know how you back Croatia here, unless you disagree. Not, I mean, other than the fact that there's such a long shot that you can almost just justify any play as you know, for them to advance, it was a plus five something, I think it is, sure. Um, but yeah, if they were, you know, choose your European mid-major type team, Serbia, Poland, something like that, and had gotten here with the same results, I don't think we... I mean, we give them even less of a chance. Uh, so, I mean, there's something to the fact that they've made this run before. They do have a, you know, Guardiol in defense is really good, mm-hmm. young player. So, it's not, they're not entirely aging. Uh, and they have that midfield, which is, again, a little older, but still really good. But they don't have a striker that's super reliable, like so many teams do. And you're playing Brazil, who's has about 12 strikers and is <laughs> probably going to score, you know, you've got to figure at least a couple of goals. Yeah. And, so is Croatia just going to grind it out and try to hang on and get to extra time and penalties again? Like, I mean, it seems like the best approach uh, because we've seen it. even Brazil goes up. It's not like they go into a shell and just let you know not going to let Croatia just ping it around and try to break them down for eighty minutes or something like that. So yeah, it's Croatia is the hardest one to kind of wrap your head around some way for this to work out for Croatia to win, unless you know it just turns into one of those you know Brazil has thirty shots and can't find the back of the net and. Uh, you know, Richarlison pulls a Lukaku or whatever, something along those lines. I I made the analogy I think in a couple of pods ago, but it's like does the does the old fighter have one punch left in him? That's that's what I think right. kind of that's this game it. is, and I'm just going to bank on it being. I just don't. I just again, they have shown us in whether it was they should have lost to, to Belgium. Now again, we had future tickets on Belgium not advancing, so we're happy there. But like yeah. that very easily could have not been a not been a, a, a cash ticket for us. Yep. Um, 
you know, obviously their opener they drew is very lackluster. They just have, I don't think in any real game they've looked like this team that I think a lot of people thought they potentially could be. Because we talked about it beforehand, like, you know, we talked about Belgium being old, but Croatia is sort of the same way. So, like, I have the same issues with them going forward. Interesting stat here. Brazil are conceding just .35 expected goals per 90. That's yep. the second lowest of anyone behind Argentina in this entire World Cup. Yep. I think it's going to be really hard for Croatia to score. But one thing I do want to talk to you about is I've we both of us have been burned by taking teams to win to nil. So I actually don't really like the bet yeah, here of like, hey, either. you know, take Brazil to win to nil or take it, you know, take them to win one, two or three nil because. You know, we've seen it with, you know, a 90th minute penalty and in, in, in matches that don't even matter where a team nips a goal or like South Korea gets a goal on a complete blowout. Like in these knockout tournaments, Paul, like, or in the knockout stages, I should say, you know, these teams aren't playing as conservatively. They obviously right. know that they have to like push the, you know, push it a little bit and actually score. So as much as I, I think it'll be a struggle for Croatia to score, I don't feel comfortable taking them uh, Brazil to win to nil here. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean, we just got to realize you know, knockout stages are different. Like goal difference matters in the group stage, so these teams are much more incentivized to win to nil or to keep the scoring down, even if you're up by quite a bit. And you know, we saw it with you know Australia got one late against Argentina, Poland got one late against France. And you're up two or three nil, and I think there's just some inevitable kind of easing off the gas that you typically see. And yes, yeah, so I'd be pretty hesitant to take not just for these matchups, but just kind of in general a win to nil, unless there's just you know, it's an obvious defensive struggle, which I don't think any of these quarterfinals are. That winning to nil seems like a, a dicey play for for any of these knockout knockout matches, just because it doesn't matter as much. So for Brazil to win in ninety, so the money line, that's uh, they're minus two ninety, Croatia plus seven hundred, just to advance. I mean, Brazil is minus eight hundred, so there's really no value <laughs> no. there. What I think, what how I think you could bet this is, I, I have two things. Um, and you can maybe bet both of them, and you're probably not going to... I mean, assuming Brazil wins, you're probably not going to... You're, you're going to at least hit one of these. One is, I like the Brazil money line, and I like under three and a half. Um, that's minus 144. The obviously scary situation there would be <laughs> yeah. that Brazil scores four goals on their own right. and wins 4-0, 4-1, which is what we saw basically in their last game. I, I really don't think this game's going to be a blowout, though. I, I think Brazil will be in control of the match. I don't think it's ever going to be really up in the air, but I don't think it's going to be an absolute massacre like we've seen some other Brazil matches. So there's that. It's minus 114. Mm-hmm. The other one is you can kind of like semi-hedge that with just Brazil minus one, which is to win by two or more, which is yeah. plus 105, you're going to hit one of those two. You might even hit Pretty both, much. like if they win two or three nil. So yeah. um, I, I those are the two ways that I'm looking at this, Paul. Like, again, if we're, not, if we're not taking Brazil to win to nil, I don't know if you see anything different. The Brazil minus one is the number that I had my eye on um, because, again, even if Croatia you know gets one late, like Brazil could easily have two or three or four or something by then. So you're, you're not at risk as much, we hope. Uh, but it's just, yeah, because Croatia's got such a good midfield, so good on the counter. It's just a question of, are they going to be able to finish anything? Is Brazil going to give them anything? As you said, their defense mm-hmm. has been really good. Fantastic. So yeah, Brazil yeah. minus one is the way I lean on this just because it's hard to see Brazil not getting a couple of goals. Uh, and it's hard to see Croatia getting any more than one. So you know, Brazil winning by two seems like a, a pretty reasonable play, especially if you can get a little bit of plus money. Yeah, and I think what Brazil gave up, I think five goals total in all of Common Bowl qualifying. Yeah. Like this is like for as for as like crazy as there, as you talked about their striker and their attack situation, their defense is like just as good. Yep. <laughs> so, so I don't know. This, there's a reason they're a favorite in this tournament. So uh so those are the two I think that we like. I, I do the minus one getting plus money there. It's kind of how I felt about um I think I gave out France minus two last week, which ended up going down to minus one. I'll talk about that in a little bit. I think that's probably the safe play here. And I expect the two nil, three one uh potentially Brazil win here. So that 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 gets that bet through. Um, all right, let's move on to Netherlands-Argentina, the second game. 
in in order here. I actually think this is a really good matchup for the Dutch ball. I oh. I I know you I know you gave you gave out Argentina as kind of like the team that you were the most confident in, even over Brazil was the last time mm-hmm. we talked. And I don't necessarily disagree with you. Uh, but I don't know. There's just something about this Dutch team. I wasn't high on them early, but now I kind of feel like this, like Memphis is getting a little bit more into form. Obviously, mm-hmm. Cody Gakpo has been fantastic. I think there's the system that they're playing, I think just really works in tournament style soccer, tournament style football. Um, the only thing is, so they're, their money line to, to, I think to, what is it, to advance is plus 125. I don't know if the juice is good enough there, though. You know, I, I, it's not yeah. like I don't like Argentina. So it's, it's kind of like a weird, I think this is more of a coin flip game than people think. But I don't know that plus 125 is good enough for me to take them just straight on the money line. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still on the Argentina band, bandwagon. I might be driving it, at least as far as we're concerned. Because you mentioned the defense has been great so far. Under a goal and a half of expected goals over four games that they've allowed. Uh, I just think they've been a little better than some of their results have on the whole. And the Dutch have probably been a little worse than their results have. You know, it's tough because they've just kind of they shut things down so much against Ecuador after they scored early. Uh, they were obviously conceding possession to the U.S. intentionally for a huge chunk of that game. Mm-hmm. So, so the numbers are a little tricky. They're always tricky in these small sample sizes, and, and game state is such an important factor. But it just not. I mean, I'm impressed by the Dutch tactically. I just don't think they've been creating enough chances. They're, they run a little bit hot. I mean. You know, they converted all three of their really good sh- chances against the U.S., which the, some of those opportunities were so open that you're just thinking, like, of course they do, but they're converted far less than we think. You know, one of those shots goes over the bar or whatever it is. You know, uh, Blinn's goal right before halftime, if he shanks that or something, like, that's a totally different game going in 1-0 at the half. Um, yeah. So I'm not quite as confident in the Dutch as you are. I do think, you know, Van Hall is kind of the big asterisk because he's just been so good in tournaments. He was so good in 2014. He's been really good uh, getting the Dutch set up right this time. So that's the only thing that really gives me a lot of pause about Argentina here. The, the only thing with Argentina, Paul, is that I don't know, like even in the game against Australia, you know, they get this great messy goal. Like their XG is not, they're not creating like all these great yeah. chances. And then they obviously get the Alvarez goal who shouts out, I gave Alvarez anytime goal score. We yeah. got a little bit lucky, but we'll take it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just, I think that dude's awesome. I really like him. Yep. Um, but they, they, it's not like they they controlled the match, but I don't think that was ever like really blowout territory. Like I don't ever felt yeah. like it was like that that like like Australia was like completely doomed, like potentially South Korea or Switzerland were. Mm-hmm. Um, and for as good as Argentina is, I think they're a little bit wasteful. I think they're a little bit passive at times, and I still don't know that I like. I know they have a good defensive record, Paul. Like here's a, here's a stat here for you. Like both of these defenses have actually been very good, um, but. They've also both these teams have also scored at least one goal in every game, and they've scored two goals in six of their eight games. The, the Vegas is telling you that this is going to be a low-scoring game. I actually kind of think it's the opposite. I like the over two and a half here at plus one forty-eight. I actually like both teams to score at plus one hundred four. I think there's going to be chances for both sides. I think both teams score, and that's kind of the reason that I think I'm, I, I think uh, that the Netherlands is more live because I just think there's going to be goals and opportunities in this game. And I've never been really confident in any Argentina game like they. Yes, they beat Mexico 2-0. Yes, they kind of controlled against Portland, uh, against Poland. Um, yes, 2-1 against Australia. I just never felt like they were like a dominant side in any of those games. And obviously, they lost against Saudi Arabia. So I can see the Netherlands sticking around yep. and, again, maybe scoring on both of their chances and, and nipping a 2-1 here. Yeah, that's that's the roadmap for Netherlands for sure. And, and you're right. Argentina hasn't... for They've been good. They haven't been as explosive, I guess you'd say, as Brazil or, you know, even, or France or, you know, even... Germany, I guess you might say, back in the group stage. But I do, I just think they, they also haven't been threatened, you know, at the other end. They're, obviously, they've given up three goals, but just not, you know, Australia's was a random deflection. And mm-hmm. it, 
Yeah. So just not a ton of great chances. So I'm, I'm kind of still on the Argentina bandwagon, especially just because the, I think the defense is good. And But I do agree. That's the map for the Netherlands is to make it happen that way. Looks like Angel Di Maria will play, by the way, which is big for them. Something. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, again, I, I there's just something about this Dutch team. I don't know. Like I said, yeah. I didn't love coming in the tournament. Now I just, I, I think it's... I, I picked Argentina to win the tournament, and I just I don't trust them. Paul. I don't know what it is. Like I I, I, I don't know here's, if it was just I just over I'm, the first loss. I, but I, I kind of keep telling myself Argentina. Like remember, France didn't look great in 2018. They kind of grinded their way out of the yep. group stage. Uh, I mean, they got that big four three win over Argentina in the round of 16 when Mbappe you know, did Mbappe things. But again, that was four three, so it wasn't like they were uh, spectacular. Obviously, on the defensive end, uh, so I. I optimistically, I keep thinking of Argentina kind of in that France vein where they're still kind of, you know, they're still figuring it out and grinding out these wins and advancing. And at some point, things are going to click once or twice and they're going to either blow the doors off someone or just have this dominant performance. So I mean, it's definitely in the cards. It's a possibility. I'm not, I'm not totally sure if I'm just trying to talk myself into this or not. You could be very, I mean, it's not going to surprise me if Argentina lists a trophy. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think I could see them getting picked off by some team yeah. because they didn't take their chances. And yep. I think this is kind of the match that it could happen in. Yeah. Um, I think we're all rooting for the Brazil-Argentina matchup because oh, that's going to be fantastic. Oh, man. Um, but, like, you know, we it's it's like when we wanted LeBron Kobe in the finals for all these years, and it just never ended up happening. It never ended up working out that way. Yeah. Like, it could it could very easily happen this way as well. So, um, all right, those are the Friday games. Let's move on to the Saturday games. The first one's Morocco-Portugal, which... You know, great first and foremost, great story for for Morocco. Yeah, um, I love it. Obviously, just an incredible defensive display. Uh, it was awesome to see too because they have probably the biggest fan support of any team. I think at at yeah. the World Cup in Qatar, uh, the Moroccan fans are going nuts. The only thing is, I just kind of think this is this. We've hit midnight here for Cinderella, and I, not that I don't think they're good enough, but you play 120 minutes, a grind, like just a, a a difficult, grinded out, you know, tough game against Spain. You go to PKs, the emotional highs and lows of that. Um. Physically and mentally, I just don't know how you could bounce back from that in a couple of days. I mean, Roman Sice, he had a hamstring thing. It looks like he'll play, but still, like he's one of their big guys at the back. Um, they've had some injuries. They've had some fatigue. I just don't... This Portugal... And we talked about it before. This Portugal team is so, so, so freaking deep. The biggest question, I guess, Paul, is like, do we see CR7? Do we see him up front? I think the answer is probably no, because I think Portugal boss, um, Fernando Santos, he, you know, he kind of has like a free roll of the dice here because of how Goncalo Ramos played and scoring the hat trick last time. And I also think you're right, like bringing bringing Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo off the bench, like if you're down a goal late in the last 20 minutes, that's the ultimate trump card, right? Yeah. That's the perfect way to use him. I think I think you, I think they don't start him. I think they rightfully don't start him. Um, I just think Portugal in this game is way too much for, for what is a tired Morocco team that I think just not only is undermanned talent-wise, but they're just physically and mentally exhausted. I both don't disagree with pretty much everything you said and kind of like Morocco to advance here, <laughs> if that makes sense. Go, okay. I mean, this is all about the price, of course. You know, if I'm picking yep. this straight up, I would never pick Morocco to advance. But you can get like plus two ninety. So like, there's a one in four chance, I think, that they could get through. If you're really feeling nuts, you could maybe take them to win in regulation, which I think is obviously less likely. But that's plus four eighty yeah. uh, right now. Uh, they probably have a better chance of winning in regulation than going to extra time. Again, that's true. If we're yeah. being honest, right? yeah. yeah. It, again, to the Ronaldo point, like so perfect for throwing on those last 15 minutes of regulation and then you've got them for 30 minutes of extra time and maybe you can turn that extra time into something more than just a, a slog of a formality like we so often see that would that's a way to shake it up uh, for sure for Portugal uh, I just trust the defensive shape tactics of Morocco so far they've been so good uh, it you know it plays into their hands you know Portugal's going to have most of the ball gonna 
push guys forward. That's what they've done in all likelihood, which just opens up to the Morocco counterattack. Uh, so, so yeah, I I agree. Obviously, the most likely thing is Portugal almost blows the doors off Morocco because Morocco is spent. Portugal's got so many weapons. Uh, just, I don't know. There's some team of destiny, maybe something yep. floating around Morocco. It could look really dumb to say that in about three days. But it's just the price. You get about you know three to one, more or less. I think one out of four times, Morocco can somehow pull this off. Yeah, can you imagine the, the the Morocco versus England or France semifinal? Oh, I mean, Morocco, <laughs> just, that'd be great. That would be fantastic. Uh, I think this is the first real time that we've really disagreed on this entire pod on a on a thing here. I I just don't see it. I don't see it. I yeah. know the price is. I, you're right. It's not a terrible price. Like I don't hate it, but like I look at the Portugal money line of minus one fifty. I'm just like I, that to me seems like <laughs> like I like okay yeah I'm, I'm I'm not paying that big of a premium to just take Portugal to win this game. Yep. Um, I even think Portugal minus one at plus one ninety five is good. I like Portugal to win both halves plus four ten. Mm. P- Portugal is a team that likes to jump on you early in this tournament as well, and then yep. I think they don't they don't take their foot off the gas in the second half. We talked about how deep they are. I. Listen, I'm not rooting against Morocco. Listen, if I, if I have money on Portugal, I'll obviously be rooting for Portugal. But I'm not. I, no ill will towards Morocco. I just don't see. I just don't see how it happens. I yeah. really don't. And this is somebody who picked them to, to make it out of the group stage. Like I like this team from the start. I just think this is they're they're kind of in a, a, over their heads here. And you're talking about a Portugal team that kind of feels like it's hitting the right stride here. Like I think Portugal yep. could be in the final very easily. Yeah, very it, easily. it definitely looks that way. The one thing I'll say, like Portugal's defense has been fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not you know they gave up obviously counterattacking goal to South Korea. They gave up a goal in three of the four games. Uh, they shut out Uruguay, but Uruguay had you know, several chances to get one back and just didn't quite do it. So you know, their defense hasn't been a Brazil-Argentina kind of lock it down sort of thing. They've given up uh, an expected goal, between one and two expected goals in all four games so far. So defense doesn't have it locked down. Could be, you know, if Morocco's defense can hang on, they steal one on the counter and you get to extra time 1-1 and it kind of goes from there. That's the script for Morocco really, to get through is just to kind of hang on to this, steal a same goal, as Spain. Yep. maybe two if they need to. Yeah, it's the same thing they did against Spain, basically. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't disagree. Portugal I, could just run away with this thing, but I, I just like the price on Morocco. Maybe it's I'm just leaning toward the underdog a little bit uh, and the emotional story of it all, but I think they've got a chance. Obviously not as deep, but I, I think they've got that one and four shot here. I was so unimpressed with Spain, as I talked about before, yeah. that like, yes, I again, I don't want to take it anything away from Morocco. It was an incredible performance. Uh, but like Spain just, we, we got to play that game for another 120 minutes. I don't think Spain scores. <laughs> like they just, they, like they with the passing score. to the side, like it just, it just, it's like have a plan B. Come on, guys. Yeah. Like you have, because you got talented players. Like what are we doing here? Um, I don't know. So I don't, again, I'm, I'm not trying to like sit here and diss all over Morocco. I just think, I think Portugal is a different beast than Spain is. I think Portugal is more direct. I think they're more dangerous. I think they rip shots way more than Spain does. It's just going to be, it's going to be harder to hold on. Yeah. They're going to, I think they're going to have to, Morocco's going to have to score first and foremost. I don't think they get a shutout here. Uh, and I think that's less likely. And I think it's more likely that Portugal probably scores a couple goals here. I just, I, again, Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see how it goes. So this is the first time Paul and I very much disagree. I guess we'll have to, maybe we'll put uh, like a dinner bet on that at some point here. See uh, see what happens next. But um, let's let's get to the last game here. England-France, which is really the the matchup of of the entire quarterfinal. Two teams that, you know, very easily could win the entire thing. Um, I, I don't have a great lean here, Paul. Yeah. Like I think, you know, I, I think both of us were a little bit skeptical of France coming into the tournament. A lot of people really liked England coming into the tournament. I didn't necessarily love England. I, I, you know, I think they would probably, I think they would get to this point. I didn't know that they would get much further. Um, you're talking about just to qualify for the next round, so to advance. England is plus 104. France is minus 128. So, you know, relatively even, even there on on the two advanced numbers. 
I, do you have a lean? I'll just start with you because I don't I don't know that I really have a great call here. I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, France is back. France is going to blow their doors off. I could see this. I guess I could see this being more of a low scoring, like England's going to muck it up kind of game. But I, I don't know. I don't know that I feel that strongly about it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I think France has a higher ceiling, you know, just a little more explosive. But we've also seen you know, England hung six on Iran and hung three on Senegal. So, I mean, they have the offensive weapons. Again, this is a little bit kind of like what we thought about Portugal earlier in the tournament. How much is Southgate going to let this England team loose? And, you know, he's started to get Foden in the lineup, which is definitely seems that, like mm-hmm. the right attacking place. Sterling's not here for reasons because, you know, his home was burglarized. He's gone back yeah. home. Terrible. Um, yeah. so that kind of simplifies the soccer decision, at least, in a, a weird sort of way. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I lean toward France, but I don't think these prices are, you know, all that appealing. And minus 128 kind of seems like a decent price on the better team to advance, but I just don't know that the margin is there. You know, neither team has been, you know, really, really good defensively in this tournament, both, you know, giving up some chances. I know England's only given up two goals, but, you know, a little bit of luck there. Should have been probably three or four. Uh, So, yeah, I don't have a strong lean either other than, you know, France is a little better, a little more explosive. You know, Mbappe and Giroud have been both playing really well in their own way. So, I mean, I guess I lean toward France in this one, but, I just feel like it's so close. The other side is, you know, when it's so close, you just kind of take the underdog. But, you know, plus 104 for England to advance doesn't seem all that appealing either. It's just such a thin margin. You know, I feel like I could take either team to win in regulation. Plus 200 on England regulation seems decent. Plus 145 on France seems decent too. Or even the tie at plus 220. So, I mean, I'm just going to throw out all the numbers and something's going to work out. But yeah, I don't have a strong feeling on the way this game goes because I feel like Almost any, you know, I, any outcome's reasonable to me. Any team wins like 2-0 wouldn't totally shock me. We get totally. nil-nil to extra time, sure. 2-1 either way, 1-0 either way. Yeah, I, I feel like everything is on the table here as a possibility for this one. Yeah, I mean, I wrote down a couple of things. Like, you know, you can get England on the double chance and under three and a half. Because I do, I do, I don't think this is going to be like a three-one, three-two. I, I, you know, I know yeah, they've got a lot not. of attacking players that we see. I just think it's going to be a little bit more pragmatic, and both yeah. the teams are going to be a little bit afraid to like really open up until they have to. Um, that's minus one eleven, you know. But then, you know, part of me is like, okay, I'm looking at all these, like, okay, can I, can I get England? Can, can I get England and the draw, which I like more? But then I'm like, am I just dumb to not take France plus, as you said, plus one forty-five right. in 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 ninety? Like they're the they are they're the probably the best team in the world, like talent wise, maybe when everybody's healthy and everything's going right. So. Um, I also, I, you know, as I said, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be a shootout, but I don't love the price at under two and a half either. Um, so I, I kind of like the one thing I kind of like is a first half draw, even money. Uh, both teams pretty solid defensively, especially in the first half so far at this tournament. Uh, so I, I kind of like the bet. draw there you know, that you get the zero, the nil nil, the one one, obviously two two. If something gets weird like the. Was the one Portugal game was two two at halftime? No, Serbia mm-hmm. Switzerland. I think I had two two goals in at halftime. Um, so yeah, so that's the one thing I I kind of like in this game. I may end up playing as the first half draw at even money, just because. I mean, how is England going to be anything but cautious in this first half? I mean, it's it's what we've seen in almost every Southgate major gonna, tournament game under back Southgate, to his, especially against better roots. teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. All right, let's do this because you know we don't have. A t- terribly strong lean on that one let's go to our confidence rankings all right so this is going to be like let's just take the of the four teams and we might have different teams that we think are winning and we've talked about you know this a little bit in the in the last couple couple minutes but rank the teams and we'll go one through four so we'll 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 kind of like do them each uh one by one 
rank the team that you are most confident in advancing. So just getting to the, the semifinal. Just getting to the semifinal. Okay. Based on the matchup. Yep. So who's your number one team that you think is like they're a shoe and they're advancing? I mean, I feel like it has to be Brazil. I mean, wow. They're, they're, for me, they're the best team in the tournament so far. They have been. And they're playing quite arguably the weakest team left. It sounds weird to say that about, like we talked about, Croatia and the brand is strong there. But I just, it's hard to see Croatia scoring more than once and we know Brazil can hang a bucket on us. So if I have to pick, you know, again, we're probably going along with the odds. But I have to pick one single team to advance Brazil as my number one here. I assume you have Portugal too? I was also set to say Argentina too. <laughs> oh my good. Okay, well, sorry. Let's hold on, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Because I, I have Portugal one. <laughs> I knew this was coming. <laughs> Not, again, I know it's like an easy layup to be like, oh, Morocco, they're the team right. that doesn't belong. It's not that, again, it's not that I don't believe in Morocco. I just think like they're going to be dead. They don't have, they're not that yeah. deep. And this, that's why I have it. So I have, I have Portugal one, Brazil two. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think it's close. Like I, I do think Brazil is like, is a shoe in basically to go to the next round. Yeah. And I, and honestly, I could, I would hear the argument for Brazil being one over Portugal. I would definitely hear that argument. Argentina though, too. Like, it, all right, expand here. Oh, well, I mean, it's, I, I don't know if I just have these, you know, Argentina colored glasses that I've been had on the whole tournament with a, you know, I have an Argentina future. I have a messy golden boot future, et cetera. But you're tied. Yeah. You're take tied. <laughs> a, a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I got a, what a pot committed. There we go for this. Yep. Uh, I just have, I, they have so many weapons. And I, again, I know they haven't totally opened up offensively, but I feel like the defense is solid enough that it's just going to give the attack time. And the Dutch, again, have been good, but they've just been so clinical that I feel like it's got to come back around on them. And, you know, if they don't convert their two, three really good chances against Argentina, forget about it. So, yeah, it's... If it weren't for Van Hall on the other side, other coaching sideline, I feel a lot better in this. But I still, for me, I would put Argentina number two. But, you know, if we're collaborating on this, then I'm not going to fight you too much put Portugal ahead of Argentina. That's fair. So, all right. So, I've got Portugal one, Brazil two, Argentina three. And I think, so, you have a different version of that. You have, what, Brazil, Argentina, Brazil, Argentina. I would put Portugal, even though, you know, I'm going to put a little money on Morocco to get through. I would still pick Portugal. And that's mostly just because I feel like England, France is such a big shrug of country for me. Totally. Yeah. I have France four, slight favorite. Could easily see England England winning that game. Um but uh, but that that's interesting. All right, so I I, I, I thought that might have been chalk for the two of us. I'm glad we did that exercise because we were totally. Yeah. This is I like this. There's some disagreement on the pod. Like typically we've been on the same page on things, but I think uh, I like that we get we're giving the people a little bit of a different a different view on a couple of different things. All right, let's uh, let's close it out here with our best bets as we always do. We're just going to do two this time since we only have four games. Like we're you know it's, it's just hard to give out a best bet in every single game. Um, when you know when we had a game when we had what like. 16 games right you we would, it's easier to give out three bets now that we're kind of like you know winded down here it's a little bit more difficult um last week i gave out france by the way minus two i believe which means they had to win by three or more so that pk definitely hurt that yeah. bet the good news was though paul is i actually didn't make that bet at the time what we did the pod i made it right before the game and the line had moved at least on fandle so fandle doesn't do the alt spread anymore they basically just have the, the main spread so it went yeah. from two to one and it was uh, even money nice. it was, actually it was it was plus 105 for france wow. to win that's crazy. By two goals. So I was like, I texted my buddies. I'm like, am I being fleeced here? Like, this seems like it's free money. <laughs> and, you know, for a little bit, it was kind of close. But, like, we ended up winning. So if I gave out the two and you took the two, I'm sorry, because that PK yeah. totally screwed you. But if you just took France or any other thing, you probably hit your bet. Um, yeah. Also I'll- had Croatia and uh, Japan. I had both teams to score. And I think what we we lost. Did we have? I think we had Spain. Did we have Spain-Morocco both teams to score? I think I think we lost I did. that as well. I had that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so that one didn't go well. I, I also had, had uh, this wasn't on the pod, but I... Had a France win 3-0 exact score ticket oh at plus 725, God. which I felt, 
I actually, I had, I had two nil and three nil tickets. So two nil was plus 500-ish. I can't remember exactly. So yeah. like, I felt great for 90 plus minutes of that game. Like it was exactly as I thought. Poland's done nothing the entire game. And then, so the roller coaster emotions of the meaningless penalty and, and stoppage time for me were, were, uh, you know, and it was the roller coaster. It was, oh no, there's a penalty. Oh great, it's been saved. I win. Not so much because encroachment, blah, blah, blah. And Lori's off the line. Second, I know. We got to talk. Actually, effort. we talked about that briefly before. I, I actually hate these rules. I think they're dumb. I, I get, I get why it's there. I get why, like, the, the goal is not allowed to come off his line. You know, you don't want him, like, giving him, I guess, less less space, I guess, or, or whatever, or advancing a little bit too early. But the, the goal is already at a massive disadvantage anyway. Yeah. And if you're going to let the penalty taker, th- there is technically a rule that you can't come to a full stop on right. a penalty That's, and then yes. kick the ball. But it's, and I know that, like, if we're talking about guys like Jorginho or Pogba, like, these guys basically do these, like, stutter step things. It's totally unfair to the goalkeeper. Yes. I, 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 I yeah. hate it. I, I hate it. I don't mind I, keeping the keeper on the line because I think that's, I don't know, it's, it's a black and white way to, you know, keep someone from pulling a Brianna Spurry and, you know, jumping into Just running at six. somebody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also want to go back to, you know, the old MLS shootouts where the keeper can definitely know, charge the, which I'm kind of all for other than what, 35 gonna, yards out or whatever. Yeah. Right. It's going to be great till somebody, you know, takes Messi out and tears up his knee and ends his career or something yep. like that. Um, but yeah, I, there's got to be some way to legislate what the penalty takers, the, the hesitation. And again, like you said, it's not a full stop. It violates the spirit of the law extremely. Um, I'm not quite sure how to write the law because I think you and I, any soccer fan, if you see it, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't be able you to do it. that. But how to write, and we've seen how much trouble they have writing like offside laws with the technology and everything now. Writing the law in a way that would make it easy and clear for referees to make the decision is really challenging. But I do wish there were some way, you know, just take the penalty normally. We all know run what that means. Run up and blast it. Yeah, right. run up and just blast it. Come right, on. or run up and chip it. I don't care. Just run, you know? None yeah, of this. yeah, you, could do, you can go the Hakimi way and just, you know, a little, yeah. little dink. How great know? is that? The, the guy stones born on that guy. in yeah. Madrid <laughs> knocks Spain out of the World Cup. I mean, Who just, Spain, Spain wanted him to play for them. He said, right? no, I want to play for Morocco. Yeah, He was out was of the team, story. you know, not long ago. They got the new coach brought him. That was just a, that's one of those all-time just great World Cup moments when everything kind of comes together. Definitely, definitely. All right, let's give our best bets out then before we get out of here. Uh, Paul, I'll let you go first. We'll just do two. Okay. You're, you've been trying to make me rethink this, but <laughs> I have Argentina to win in regulation at plus okay. 120. Uh, again, I just think they're better. I think they'll have more opportunities than the Dutch. So, you know, assume the Dutch aren't converting all three of their chances again and, you know, Argentina misses all five of theirs, something like that. I, I just think Argentina's better. So I like them to win in regulation at plus 120. Uh, I, fair, totally fine. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, in that game, I'm just going to take, give me the both teams to score. I think Argentina and yeah. Netherlands score. It's plus money, plus 104. Yep. Again, I don't know. Netherlands might just score one goal, but I do think they score. And I think Argentina's going to score too. Yeah. Um, you know, if you want to get a little bit juicier, like as I said, over two and a half, I think is like plus 149 or something. So yeah, like, it's not bad. Take both teams to score. I think it happens. Um, you know, I, I, I'm picking Argentina, but I just don't look out for the Netherlands. I think they're, they're sneaky frisky. Um, so I'll take the both teams to score there. All right, what's your other one? Uh, my vote, so I'm going to go, uh, you almost talked me out of this too, but I'm going to go ahead and play it. <laughs> Actually, I've already played this. So uh, I have Morocco to advance at plus 290. This is, you know, I'm not going all in on this, but this is kind of just playing the numbers. I feel like you have, you know, Morocco is obviously an underdog, but they are a good team. They've shown they can stand up to some of the big guns in the tournament. And so I think, yeah, they get through one out of four times. Now, those other three times, Portugal might win by three, a lot of those other three times. But I think even 
despite you know some tired legs, not as deep a team, et cetera, I think they're you know, well-drilled enough, well-coached enough defensively that they can frustrate Portugal, get one on the counter, and get it to extra time or, or sneak out a one-goal win. I wrote down Portugal money line at minus 150. I'm not going to take that because of you, Paul. Oh, I want to. I, I want to root for. I want to root for, for, <laughs> for your bet. So I'm not going. I'm not going to give that out. Give that out here on the pod. What I will do is I'll go to the Brazil Croatia yeah, game. I, like I gave this. out the, the two bets that I gave out. I, I I like both of them. I think the better one is probably Brazil. Just take Brazil minus one, so they have to win by two or more. Yeah. That's plus 105. The other one that I gave out was Brazil money line under three and a half. You're going to probably have to sweat out the under, but I, again, I think it's going to be. I think I can see two nil. I could. I could very easily see two nil. And if that's the case, and you take both and you hit both of these, then you're doing great. But I think chances are, if you take both of those bets, you're going to hit one of them. Yeah. Um, and there's a good chance you hit two. So let's let's make the best bet Brazil minus one. But I also like Brazil money line under three and a half. I, as well, I like the so. Brazil minus one too. I'm almost certainly going to end up playing that. It's just I mean, it feels too good to be true. It just, it does. It I does. Don't, I don't it's, know. it's so it, yeah. As I was saying, it seems like such an obvious play that Croatia's, that's usually how Vegas gets you too. Right. Croatia is going to come out like, and win this one two one somehow. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, you know, like I said, the old fighter is going to have one punch left in him. But I I just don't see it. I don't. I think they. I think you. I think you're, you're right. I think you can make an argument they're the worst team left in the tournament. Not that they're you know there's eight teams left, so it's like saying the worst is like saying you right. know. You're 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 the, you're the best you know road scholar. You're the, the worst road scholar. Right. Yeah, <laughs> like, finishing finish eighth in Miss America or whatever doesn't mean you're yeah. A doesn't mean you're a huge loser or whatever. But yeah. yeah, it is. But it is what it is. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. I think we're going to be back either Sunday or Monday before the semifinal game. So we'll we'll keep keep an eye out on the feed. Um, we'll have a pod out then. Paul, anything you want to get out before we bounce? I think I think we pretty much covered everything. No, I guess we'll we'll, I think we'll keep good. we'll keep tabs on the U.S. Uh, coaching situation. We'll have any more updates, I mean, but uh, just the I mean, all these matchups are so fun in so many different ways. You know, it's the nice. You know, we all love underdogs, and underdogs are great stories. The flip side of that is when you don't have many, you get these England France. You get the potential of a Brazil Argentina, mm-hmm. and let's just be a Brazil Argentina World Cup semifinal has the potential. Yep. I mean, it could be a terrible game because they could just both muck it up. And, but I mean. It's going to have the, as much hype and potential as almost any game we've ever seen outside of a final. And Portugal, France on the other side probably has to be like from a neutral, like aesthetic yeah, point of view. Dizzy. That's probably the, that's probably the matchup you want. I mean, I think I think England and Morocco could win, but like I think just if you want to pick a game to watch, it's probably Portugal, France. Yeah, because that could be uh, again, both teams could lock it down, or both teams it could be three three, and it wouldn't mm-hmm. shock anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think any of those teams too could win it. I think I, I didn't think Portugal could win it for the tournament, but I definitely think they could win it now. Yep. Um, so, all right, we'll be back like I said Sunday or Monday. Thanks to Paul Carr as always. Thanks to our guy Stefan Anderson for producing this podcast. Good luck on everyone's bets, and uh, we'll catch you next week.